Here we go. Hi, everyone. We are live. Hi, Chris. How are you? Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing great, especially right now <laughs> that we just started. <laughs> so um, uh, very happy to, to have a new episode of the Security Break podcast. If this is the first time you're watching this, this is just a little project of mine where I invite cool people like Chris, in this case, uh, and discuss or just have a little chit chat about some recent security news and learning the process, right? So um, just getting information about, you know, uh, uh, stuff that happens out there uh, from uh, various people with different backgrounds, different knowledge uh, that can definitely, you know, teach me something maybe. And hopefully can also, um, you know, teach something to uh, you people that are watching this uh, during the process. Uh, today, I'm really happy to have with me uh, Chris Fulon. Hopefully that's the right pronunciation. Sorry for that. Not really good with this stuff. Um, Chris, would you mind have a quick introduction yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Chris Fulon is the the best introduction that you can say. Um, okay. I've been the host of the Breaking Into Cybersecurity podcast, um, also here on Twitch. Um, I am a coach. I help cybersecurity leaders grow into their full potential. And then I'm also an InfraGuard national, uh, national chapter region um, board. So uh, we it's a collaboration between the FBI and um, commercial interests to share threat intel information. So um, we have some great topics to discuss today. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. And by the way, of course, you are, you know, uh, definitely more experienced than a, a senior, I will say, um, uh, podcaster too. So uh, if you didn't uh, know already, just have a look at the uh, podcast from Chris. And anyway, um, in case that's not clear already, we're live on Twitch, but I'm going to re-upload the recording, uh, the video recording on YouTube and also the um, the audio on Spotify and similar platforms. And I will put all the, you know, uh, um, links uh, and resources from Chris in the description. So check it out. Okay. Um, so today we have a bunch of news from the uh, last days. There's something uh, older than the last week this time, just because I thought it, it was you know, interesting to talk about that. So I'm going to share my screen with them and we can just you know introduce it and have a little discussion about it. So here is my screen. Hopefully you can see it. Yeah, I can, I can. That's perfect. So very, very quick introduction. Uh, and uh, let's see uh, what is interesting about this, uh, this piece right here. So the, the story is about um, uh, a major you know, uh, phishing campaign that was uh, observed by uh, Cofans, you can see right here. Um, uh, where you know the the particularity of this of this campaign here was that there was a, a huge usage of QR codes in uh, you know the uh, the emails that constitute the uh, initial access of the of the attacks in this case, right? So what we are talking about, uh, we uh, you know already mentioned multiple times in this podcast, uh, what is phishing or just you know uh, I mean to. Um, you know, uh, convince people 
to click on a malicious link or download a, a malicious attachment in order to break into the defenses of our organization. And uh, in this specific case, in order to, um, we say, uh, evade the security measures, right, uh, of the companies receiving the phishing attack, uh, because, you know, today we have various solutions that actually scan the email before uh, letting the user read the email, right? Um, to, to evade that kind of uh, security measure, they are actually putting um, an image or a PDF document in this case um, uh, with a QR code in it. So QR codes are just this, um, you know, uh, you can see some examples in the screen. Uh, this kind of uh, kind of new, I will say new way is not really new, but uh, always uh, you know more used nowadays uh, with uh, um, a code, an image code that you can actually scan with an app, uh, usually on your mobile phone, to reach to a, a link, to reach to a website or something. Instead of you know having to put down you know type in the the URL yourself, so it's actually easier. Okay, to get in there, that's the reason why we're using it. But at the same time, the user is not really um, looking at the URL that they are going to, to open, right? And this is an advantage for, for the attackers. Um, so the, the news is interesting because uh, we've seen uh, this kind of thing used in the past, but this is pretty big. It's talking about thousands of email uh, targeting multiple organizations uh, in, the, um, in the United States, uh, mainly. And uh, again, I just thought that uh, maybe it's not that clear why QR codes could be you know, used in a malicious way and why people should have uh, double-checked them before opening everything. We, we, we in the industry always say to everyone, you know, uh, double-check your links before you click on them. But what about there's no link to click on you actually have something to, to scan with the, the QR code, right? Um, you know, what's your... Yeah, I, what I'd say is first, the the QR codes are presented in a, a non-traditional way. So typically mm -hmm. QR codes are squares. Here they're using crosses to make it seem like uh, the security companies. Here they're emulating Microsoft um, are using it in a different way. And uh, what this does for the user is it breaks down their defenses so that they think that this isn't the, the traditional uh, QR code that anyone could create, but it, it is. And then, like you were mentioning, you can't see the link. So like a shortened link, um, this is a longer link that's hidden in the QR code, but what you can see when you scroll a little bit higher in the article is that you're hiding, uh, you're hiding their link um, behind a Bing search. So yeah. when you when you initially look at the link, actually scroll back, scroll scroll lower. When you when you look at the link, if you were to look at it, you would see a Bing search which is very similar to Microsoft. Microsoft owns Bing. So because of that, you would think that you're very closely related, but you're not. The malicious part's hiding at the end in a, in a Base64 encryption. So for those that don't understand a Base64 encryption, it is 
manipulating it into a machine readable language that the search engine would understand, but you might not understand unless you decode it. Yeah, we are we're actually observing multiple, you know, levels, um, all of which are just trying to evade, um, you know, security measure or just the user to understand where I'm actually, you know, going to, right? I see, first of all, the QR code. So it's just a random image. I can, as a human, I cannot really interpret it. I scan it, then uh, it redirects me to what it seems to be a random um, uh, search engine, you know, search with a proper or legit domain, in this case, you know, uh, the example in the, in the screen, we have uh, bing.com, and uh, it actually redirects you to the actual legit, uh, sorry, malicious domain, which is, as you mentioned, um, uh, you know, obfusc obfuscated uh, in Basis64. So, you know, it's really um, taking efforts, right? To, to make you not understand where, where are you going? Because I was about to say uh, that, uh, you know, which is a way that we can uh, make sure QR codes are safe before actually reaching the targets. And uh, I don't know, I would say just double check your the app you use to scan the QR codes because some of them, instead of just redirecting you, actually show you the final uh, link you know, and ask you, are you sure you want to go to this to this link right here, right? But in this specific case, still, I think that the app will just show you the Bing search. So again, just having a look at it, it's not enough to determine, okay, this is safe, I can actually click on it, right? And, so, and uh, it, it, it also fooled Microsoft for until they started to see that this was actually leading to phishing because they use similar automated methods to mm. look at the URL. And usually they look at the first portion of the URL because typically at the end, you might put things like um, social media references, things like that, um, and hide them in the URL. And it doesn't affect what the URL is. It's just used for tracking. And so Microsoft overlooked that. And many um, initial security measures would have overlooked that as well until it gets flagged as a malicious URL. Yeah, it's very it's very tricky. And I think the, you know, the attackers put some research behind this, right, before actually um uh, you know um, running the, this this campaign right here and you know another thing that I was thinking it's uh, it's really straightforward right but I um I like to to reiterate on this no matter how you know we improve on the security industry no matter how many technologies we implement or uh, how you know new vulnerabilities are discovered or everything Anyway, phishing is always one of the main, you know, uh, attack vectors that are going to be used just because they are effective, right? They just find a new way to, you know, um, social engineer someone, right? Or just um, a new technique like, like this one. But still, the, the essence of it is still phishing. They are still sending you an email 
and they're just, just trying to uh, fool the user into making the the you know the wrong the wrong step because that's the fact most of the attacks i would say sorry yeah most of them really requires the users to do a first step right to click on something to uh, give permissions to some executable or, or or anything like that and without that step attackers cannot really get in without you know further efforts right so this is just the simple the most simple way uh, to get into a, a you know uh, into an organization if you can um, you know fool someone into giving you the keys to the kingdom is just a just you know a great for for the attackers of course a little less for for organizations and uh, this makes me think right no matter how much we can improve uh, still the the first an old way uh, of uh, fooling humans, right, uh, is, the, is the best way to, to, to breach the fences, right? Like, is there a way we will ever, um, you know, um, find a way to, to prevent this? I honestly don't well, think so. I don't think we'll ever prevent humans from clicking on links. But what we can do is we could put the, the human in an environment in which when they click on the link, they're not affected. So hmm. that could be a, that could be a virtual environment. That could be multiple layers of protection that even if they did click, it uh, has a DNS tool that prevents it from going there. It has other tools prevent it from executing different ways of stopping um, the phishing link or the phishing attempt from being fully executed. So um, in this case, because you're using a QR code, you're actually bypassing the click. So now you're, you're using um, the user's iPhone or Android device and getting them to go to the login page. So all your corporate defenses are usually down. So at that point, you're looking at, okay, if I were a defender, what can I do? And in this case, it could be things like um, impossible travel. My user is based in the US. But when they click with this QR code, you're logging in from Iraq or Ukraine. And it, it shows that within seconds you're trying to do that. Hmm, that should be a sign for the automatic defenses to prevent that. Or users are only able to log in with um, signed devices. So devices that the organization owns. Um, those are other ways, but yeah, you have to create layers of defense and assume um, that humans are flawed. That's a base, a base assumption. And when you have that assumption, you can create different ways of protecting yourself that um, include that a user might click, um, there might be faulty code, there might be faulty defenses, and you have to threat model your key applications 
to take that into consideration. And that's what, uh, you know, what we call the uh, fence in depth, basically, right? Yeah. Just because uh, we know for sure that there's no such thing as, uh, you know, 100% security. Like you're nothing and no one can really um, assure you that this, uh, this specific, you know, um, um, attack surface can never be uh, breached. You have always to assume, okay, this defense can actually be uh, breached. So I need another layer uh, behind that and possibly another layer so that if the second layer falls as well, uh, I have the third one, right? So for mm -hmm. sure, we need, I don't know, to train people uh, to uh, recognize the phishing attacks and everything. But we are humans, uh, so everyone can actually fall for it. So uh, you need to try to... I don't know, as we mentioned before, scan the email before it actually reached the user to, to find any evident, let's say, um, malicious, um, you know, uh, indicator. And after that, you try to block any um, uh, unknown executables that could be uh, downloaded by the user uh, by mistake. And uh, as you mentioned, block any uncommon domains and so on and so forth. So it's actually about having really uh, multiple layers, multiple uh, levels, uh, so that one bake the other, right? And when one is not working for any reason or just one is breached because attackers are doing that, attackers are uh, researching to evade their security measure, measures. They know, of course, that organizations are putting in place multiple measures. They're just looking for new ways of uh, uh, fooling them. And that's the reason that, unfortunately, uh, companies have to, you know, put in place all of those different solutions, all of those different technologies, which means efforts, which means budget, which, it, you know, says a lot about why it is difficult to defend organizations, right? Why it's not that easy, because you need, you know, uh, multiple skills, so multiple people with different um, uh, skill set multiple technologies, so the money to afford all of those resources, like people and also uh, technologies. It's really, uh, you know, uh, says a lot and says a lot about the people that have to take responsibility for that, right? Um, like, I, I just, this is really a, a little out of context here, but I was thinking uh, when an organization actually gets breached because something about uh, like this, right? And someone at some point has to um, like explain, right, to the board or to the management why we were breached. It's not always that simple. It's just because, you know, um, it's true that we can always improve, right? But it's not always uh, someone's fault or something's fault because that technology is not good or the other technology was not good. It's just that anything can be exploited, right? Both humans, both technologies and everything. So yeah, it's like a never-ending story in some way. It, it, it is. Um, and uh, the larger target you are, the more you have to take into consideration of that threat actors are going to find ways to try to attack you. But that doesn't mean that if you're small that you don't take these into consideration either because um, they could send this QR code 
to any Office 365 account. They're, 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 they're going to try to do it in mass. So they're not just going to try to attack. Um, in the beginning, they're going to try small accounts to test that it works before they get to the large accounts. And then, as you saw by the July spike, they, they started to go in mass. So it, they probably weren't as uh, targeted in mm -hmm. who they're trying to get, but rather trying to get as many people as possible. Sure. Like, like there are both really um, very, very targeted attacks, which are looking for a specific organization. And of course, if you are a very big, very exposed, very public one, should be concerned about that at the same time there are all of those you know very massive attacks looking to breach as many organizations as possible even just one user per uh, each organization and that's there's still like um um uh, reaching the, the the attacker objective right mm -hmm. so unfortunately no no one is safe in this uh, in this world um so Chris, if you're okay with with it, I think I'm gonna move on with the next news. I think we uh, pretty much uh, discussed about everything about this. There will always uh, something more. So uh, I just uh, suggest to the people watching this uh, to have a look at the news yourself and uh, maybe you know uh, let us know if you have any other uh, comments or just different opinions uh, because. Uh, uh, I don't know everything. Chris do doesn't know everything. And there's always someone that can contribute to the discussion. I think that's the real value behind uh, you know, this project. If you contribute to the discussion, I will definitely appreciate it. So uh, feel free to, to leave a comment uh, anywhere and um, uh, I will go read it and possibly you know, uh, take it into, into consideration the next time I face something like this. Great. So um, next news. This time we talk um, about uh, LinkedIn, the very, I would say, pretty famous uh, social network related to um, the you know, uh, work context, right? Uh, job offerings and stuff like that. Um, so uh, I've seen this pretty, uh, pretty much discussed uh, in, the, in the last in the last days. Um, uh, and you know, it's it's actually there. There are no much details, unfortunately. But the point is that uh, multiple uh, different uh, LinkedIn accounts have been uh, basically uh, breached, and uh, um, multiple users have seen their accounts to be uh, blocked or suspended without you know being able to access them anymore uh, from uh, from a day to the other, uh, and. Um, it appears to be a pretty massive attack because um, we have, I think, yeah, you can see here that uh, the, um, uh, the the not the newspaper, but the news site um, just uh, had a look at the how many researches, you know, queries on Google were searching for, um, you know, LinkedIn hacked or everything, and apparently, it, you know, there was a pretty big rise in the last uh, in the last few days. Uh, over uh, 5,000%, so uh, not bad at all. And um, so I, I think there are a couple of things that are uh, interesting about this. First of all, uh, it's interesting to try to, uh, you know, think why a LinkedIn profile 
could be a target for for some detractors, right? Like, <laughs> of course, there are multiple ones, but I'm curious to see, you know, to hear uh, what's your opinion about this because I think definitely there could be different ways they they could exploit like a, a LinkedIn profile. Like, let's say a generic one, right? Of course, it depends on who is the user. Yeah, so there's multiple reasons for attacking uh, LinkedIn accounts. And from the news stories, the, the reason why there isn't that much about it is that it appears that you're using leaked credentials or brute force credentials. And the accounts didn't seem to have any multi-factor authentication attached to it. So um as we previously discussed uh having that second layer of uh an authentication um is very important and in the up in some of the upcoming stories we're going to even get even more fine grain as to the specific type of second factor authentication that you should use but just for just for here let's recommend very strong passwords if you haven't changed your password for LinkedIn recently um, and it's the original one that you've had for years, please change it. Um, LinkedIn has had several breaches um, over the past 10 years. And most often, if you're human, if you're not security conscious, you never change your password from the time you signed up unless they force you to. So good reminder, go change your password now and make it a strong password because you're using brute force. So what brute force is, is you're trying as many password combinations as possible to try to get in and to get your account. Now, when they have your account, there's several things that they could do from it. One, um, they can spread uh, malware, phishing, um, scams via direct messages. They can also uh, spread uh, misinformation or um, send you to scam sites via direct post. Um, for example, there's there's been several ones where you have someone from... Um, Pepsi or Coke or something saying something about Elon Musk and then you're going to want to go research it. That's why why having these, uh, these accounts taken over are helpful. But on the back end, if you get an employer account now um, and you create a job posting or you're able to say, hey, I'm looking to create this job posting and you have lots of people send you all their information because they want to get a job now you're using it to 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 get that information so uh linkedin tends to be a more trusted site compared to say twitter for job information because that's what most people go to that that platform for so um accounts tend to be more highly valued um additionally you tend to trust your connections inherently more 
than you do someone that you follow on Twitter. Because yeah. more often than not, you're you're you you've researched these people, you've seen, okay, well, they've worked at these companies, they're connected to these people that you're also connected to. And if you haven't gone out and just randomly connected to a bunch of people, there's there's that layer of trust built into who you're connected to. So having those accounts then taken over, uh, that trust is now gone. Um, yeah. So so those that those are my main thoughts. Yeah. Like I was not actually thinking about the um, company profiles, right? Uh, just you know, uh, slipped uh, from my mind. But it's actually very very interesting. Like I'm thinking about uh, every, I would say, in every industry, every job advertisement on LinkedIn immediately gets you know uh, hundreds or of applications, right? And not only like just to add a bit to what you said before, um, not only uh, it will be a concern to share your data, right, with uh, you know. Um, compromised account so with with actually with the attackers because you're giving them your you know your curriculum vitae with all of your data in it and everything but i'm also thinking uh, many job descriptions actually get um um you know a link that you have to click on and provide your information directly on the company website right so what about and we you know kind of return to what we you know the, the previous news here what about I actually put a malicious link in there, right? Yeah. And just because, you know, okay, it's a job description. I, I need a job. So I'm not going to think twice about this. And uh, this is a very good company I want to work for. So I'm going to click the link without reading it, without, uh, you know, checking whether it's actually the company domain or any other legit domain. Uh, and uh, possibly that link is actually going to install something on my, my computer without me noticing. Right. Or well, maybe... it could install something on on your computer, but many companies don't have their um, their applicant tracking system on their domain. Sure. They will use another company, and there's so many companies that are now coming out as applicant tracking systems. You don't know if you're submitting to a real applicant tracking system or a fake one. Um, you're trusting that there's that inherent trust again that you're putting in the account and that you're legitimately from this company and that this applicant tracking system that they sent you to uh, through this link that you clicked on is legitimately that. And you provide considerably more information and potentially more private information in a job application than you ever would in a regular phishing site. Just because you have, you know, you expect to get something uh, if you do that, right? I'm, exactly. um, I, I, I'm going to put my information there because I expect the company to give me like a, a, an interview and eventually maybe hire me so they can pay me. So definitely you have an objective and you are, um, you know, open to do uh, more things. Uh, unfortunately so yeah that's definitely pretty scary and as i said i was not thinking about that uh and and still it's all about you know the the thing that uh if you get access to 
a known LinkedIn profile, uh, any you know company or uh, uh, actual user, still it's all about the fact that it's trustworthy, right? You mentioned this already, but uh, the point is that you can, of course, create a, just a fake profile, right? And try to um, you know uh, perpetrate your attack with that fake profile, but it's just not the same. Just not the same if I actually send you that malicious link from your former colleague from your former company, right? Because you knew each other, you trust them, and you know you think, okay, uh, that guy is not gonna send me anything uh, bad, right? And uh, so I, you also said that probably LinkedIn is also um, somewhat more trustworthy than other social networks. Like, I think it really depends on how you use the platform, right? Because if you use it at the same, you know, in the same way you use all of the others, right? Without really, uh, you know, growing a network of people you already know, uh, just, you know, connecting with everyone, of course, it's a bit different. Still, you can definitely get uh, more easily to certain people, right? If you are perpetrating a, a targeted attack, right? Uh, if you really want to reach that specific person or just that specific employee from that specific company, right? Because maybe you are, let's say you are targeting um, a sysadmin, right? From a, from the company uh, you, uh, you are targeting because you know they have uh, privileged accesses, right? They, if you get to steal their credentials, of course you're gonna get a very, you know, um, very good level of access at your target company, right? So let's not forget that um, people on LinkedIn means also employees of a, a series of companies, and you can try to, uh, you know, target a person to then jump on their um, corporate accounts. Right, because if I compromise your account, in, in, like your computer, in your computer has, uh, I don't know, um, uh, saved credentials on your browser for both your personal accounts, but also your company uh, accounts, uh, I can still automatically get access also to some uh, um, some of the company resources, right? So this could be both, um, let's say, a, an attack targeting individual people, and or uh, actually targeting company themselves. I was thinking about this because actually the news here somewhere specifies that some of the users received uh, some some kind of ransom uh, note. Like if you want to get access back to your account, uh, you need to pay me something, right? And that makes me think, okay, this was actually targeting individual users. Just another massive attack. I, um, you know... Um, breach as many user profiles as possible and try to uh, convince them to pay me something. So, you know, overall, uh, it's a successful, you know, attack. But I guess that if the attackers also get some very uh, interesting profile, they can, you know, further expand their, their scope, right? Maybe they can achieve to actually compromise a, a company or a list of companies, right? Yeah, absolutely. It really depends on what type of accounts they get. 
and what you're looking to do with it. Um, it shows in the article that some of these are coming from Russian URLs. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're from Russia, but mm -hmm. um, if it is from Russian URL, there could be misinformation. There could be all sorts of um, other attacks that they're using for it. So, um, yeah, it it begs to to think that if they are Russian uh, threat actors here, what they could be doing with it. Yeah, I, I was actually reading while you were um, talking about it, and. Um... Basically, at least some of the users uh, who were compromised, uh, they observed their accounts to be um, their, sorry, their email addresses connected to their accounts to be replaced, right? So basically, the attack, the, the attacker um, finds a way to uh, compromise your account and get access to your account. Then it wants to keep the access and uh, forbid you. To get the access back, so they change the email addresses uh, associated with it. This time, um, using a, apparently a Russian uh, provider, Rambler.ru. Uh, I'm not sure like what kind of service that is. Um, so it could be one of those very uh, simple and quick providers that, that do not ask you any any information to create a new account. Right? That that will be very uh, very common and. Uh, I read somewhere else that not only, yeah, it's actually here, um, not only they changed the, the um, uh, email address, but also the, if you didn't already, they turn on the, the MFA, which is, you know, some sort of paradox, right? You should use MFA to pre prevent this kind of attacks. And they are actually, you know, attackers are usually uh, are actually using this uh, to prevent you to take your account back, right? And when you do that, you know this get uh, can get uh, difficult when you reach out to the provider to LinkedIn in this case and just ask, you know, I cannot access to my account because there's MFA. Like, how do you guarantee that that's actually your account? You're not just trying um, the uh, you know trying to fool the support to give you access to another account, right? It gets difficult and it slows down. Um, you to recover your account, people get mad, of course, and the company image, like in, again, in this case, LinkedIn, does not get a, a, a you know a good um, uh, you know uh, image out of this, right? Because it's not, it, it's also affecting LinkedIn itself because of this massive uh, massive attack, right? Uh, I I think. Um, very often, uh, people in the security industry do not uh, consider the uh, image damage, right? Concerning security attacks, like you can recover, you can, um, you know, continue to do business after the attack, um, hopefully. But the, you know, image damage is something that just doesn't go away, right? Maybe that guy is, is not going to use LinkedIn anymore. Because it felt very bad about this uh, uh, this experience, right? And it, um, you know, just blame uh, LinkedIn itself. Maybe it's not really, um, uh, you know, the, the best thing to do. But still, you get somewhat of a bad experience out of it, right? 
yeah, reputational damage is definitely yeah. something to consider. Uh, and I, I just like to say, there, guys and girls, um, and uh, everyone out there, uh, yes, re reputational damage from threat actors is something to consider. And I I've started, I've started to include that in my threat profiles in my threat modeling that they can use this sort of attack for reputational damage uh so so that's definitely something to consider yeah, yeah absolutely and i think this is also something that um again yet another thing that is difficult to probably communicate to uh the um the management of a company right that is not only about uh, how bad it was or how much data was exfiltrated or, uh, you know, uh, how yeah, money we lost in, in, the, in the very moment we were breached, but also, you know, um, how many users are we going to lose because of this if we didn't uh, manage the communication very well and everything. That's all, you know, um, a series of aspects that are not really technical, right? or at least not technological, let's say, and uh, really uh, probably require other, you know, uh, business units to be uh, involved in, a, uh, you know, in responding to an incident. I, I'm thinking about, you know, communication and marketing in communicating to the, the, the public or to the users uh, what it happened and be uh, transparent and just not pretend nothing happened and, uh, so on and so forth, right? It's an aspect that I don't see, you know, considered as often as the technological one. Yeah, and in addition to to those that you mentioned, there's the fact that we're talking about it, so it's on the news. Mm -hmm. But then by the fact that if this then goes to regional news or national news, wherever these companies are based, um, that puts intense pressure on investors as well as others. So uh, yes, reputational considerations should be taken into account. Yeah, and just to you know, um, uh, you know, reiterate on this or stress out a bit, uh, there's a quotation in the article that is. Um, uh, quoting a, a user that was reached in this way, and uh, it's saying about leaking, you know, what what a joke, what a joke of a company, because it's struggling to get access back to his uh, his user, right? It's not really, and it's really human to do so, right? To not blame the actual attackers, but the company because uh, it's taking time to to recover, which is yep. understandable actually, right? At least, if you are uh, if you are in the industry, if you are um, one of the people facing the the incident from the from the inside, so yeah, definitely, definitely, uh, very, very interesting. Now, I think we can again move on with the next news. With the you were right before, it's actually could be you know somewhat connected to this because we're going to talk about MFA as well. Just before we do it, just want to remember people that. Again, you're watching this on uh, Twitch. We are live together with uh, Chris Fulon today, but I'm going to re-upload uh, the, the video on YouTube, re-upload the audio on Spotify and other platforms. Uh, and uh, if you like this, if you want uh, you know, uh, more people to be invited in this, uh, in this format, maybe if you want Chris to return once again, 
please, you know, let us know just that, you know, with a very little feedback, uh, hit that uh, subscribe button or follow button or just share it with um, your friends if you think they're going to like it as well. And, uh, you know, just let us know if you have any feedback to improve this because uh, that's, um, that's also for you, right? I, I definitely um, getting some uh, very insightful uh, discussions while doing this. So I'm anyway, I, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, but uh, if this gives value to you as well, just, you know, let us know. It will be much appreciated. Um, so next news, um, we're going surely to talk about MFA and uh, uh, the, the actual, you know, um, core of the story is um, the Lapsus group, which is a pretty, uh, pretty well-known, I would say, um, you know, Tractor group uh, that has been focusing on a recent campaign on the SIM swapping technique and actually getting a little, you know, uh, creative in using this kind of technique. So what we are talking about, I, I always like to, to get a, a little of context here. Uh, so uh, SIM swapping, it's just, and, you know, Chris, correct me if I uh, think uh, I'm wrong somewhere, but it's just a technique where you try to steal uh, the telephone number, right, of some of some users, of some people, um, moving that number to a new SIM card that you are just registering from scratch and registering that uh, as uh, at your name, right, so that you actually own that SIM card and that phone number and you start receiving the phone calls that are supposed to reach the original user, right? Uh, phone calls, yes. uh, SMS, and uh, uh, whatsoever. Uh, and, you know, the, this is very, very interesting, especially recently, because we were talking about MFA before, right? Multifactor authentication, where do you, you, you basically not only put your uh, username and, and uh, password to get access to your account, uh, whatever, uh, whatever social network or, or other account, but you're also requested to insert a code that you receive on a different medium, right? That different Correct. medium can be an SMS to your phone number. And, you know, basically what happens when, when someone steals your phone number, right? Uh, usually attacker are, you know, should struggle with, uh, with MFA because they, don't, they have to steal you two different things, your password, and also your uh, other factor of authentication, right? And if they can easily, um, or I will say, more easily steal your passwords compared to the other factor, uh, with something like SIM swapping, if you are using SMS as a mean, as a medium for uh, multi-factor authentication, they can actually definitely, uh, you know, access to your account uh, in uh, in that way, right? So they actually get the SMS instead of you on their new SIM card. Uh, and they just put the um, one-time uh, one time code uh, in, the, in the application instead of you. So it's actually pretty, pretty interesting, even if this is not a very new technique, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think here what they're trying to show is that um, with SIM swapping, now they've gone to... As, um, extort larger companies. So mm -hmm. in the beginning, it used to be that these uh, SIM swaps happened because individuals had um, 
uh, a one-letter Twitter handle or hmm. um, a gaming handle or maybe something monetary. So they had it attached to um, cryptocurrency. And then as uh, multi-factor authentication gained in popularity, companies thought, well, what's the, the, the second thing that everyone has? A phone. So they then started to, to implement um, sending SMS-based messaging as it's the second easiest way to have people type in a multi-factor authentication um, from, to uh, uh, try to authenticate their device. The problem is you had to social engineer a carrier. So now they're attacking carriers at mass. And unfortunately, T-Mobile has been one of the carriers that has been um, attacked at mass several times. And they've been in the news several times for breaches. Um, and they're, in, in this story, they're showing that they're taking a back-end approach. So rather than attacking um, T-Mobile directly, they're using a law enforcement approach to where they're using a DHS review board type approach to gain access uh, to the, 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 phone, the victim's phone number through this law enforcement request. And it, it's, it's called a emergency disclosure request. And you're requesting to get all the victim's information from the source. So rather than um, try to hack the account, they go, why don't we just try to hack the source and use these emergency disclosure requests or EDRs and just get all this information from the victim's phone company and get their SIM at the same time. So they're going directly to the source, getting that, and then now they're using it to exploit larger companies. Um, they're, they're attacking Microsoft as well. They're attacking Ubisoft. They're attacking Samsung, all, all these companies um, by using the power of uh, SIM swaps. It's, it's, a, it's a sort of, uh, let me know if, if you agree with this, but it's a sort of... Uh supply chain attack right when you are targeting the you know in this case the individual person owning the the phone number but to do that you first try to compromise the actual you know uh service provider that is granting you the the phone number right so that uh i first compromise your provider and then i can steal your your phone number in that way so it's, it's not something we, we call it in this way usually because usually we, we refer to that with organizations, right? But still, it's the same, it's the, the same kind of concept. Um, yeah, exactly. These are now more high-end targeted attacks. You, you, you don't tend to do a SIM swap attack for everyone. Um, yeah. These tend to be a lot more targeted. So someone that they suspect that has um, a high value of assets that they would be able to compromise if they were able to, to swap the SIM 
and get to those victims' attacks, which they show the chain of how they approach it uh, in the article. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I, I'm thinking about what's the difference uh, between maybe the, the first um, the first attempts right back then of sim swapping. Uh, at least like in my country, I remember that uh, there was a lacking of um, uh, you know authentication by the service providers. So right, uh, basically uh, anyone could just go at any you know um, telco store and request. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know I I need to uh, a new sim for for my phone number and uh, uh, the you know the employees were not really requesting much uh, you know. Uh, ID cards or or anything to authenticate the person and just you know give them a SIM card just because it was it, it was never a a problem before it was never an issue before they started to use it um, pretty uh, pretty massively. Uh, right now it's a bit better. Right now you know telcos are required to uh, strictly authenticate people when requesting a new SIM card, right? Uh, but still. Uh, you know, it is mentioned in the in the article uh, a few ways uh, they can still um, make the providers uh, get a, a get a new SIM card just using this yeah emerging disclosure request it is referring to. I believe it's uh, some sort of a you know um, uh, special request that maybe law enforcement can do uh, for for some special cases, right? And they, you know, attackers just impersonate law enforcement in this case uh, to to send this uh, special request. Or, you know, if if you just find a way to to compromise an internal, you know, access uh, to the internal tools of the service provider, right? And you are actually, you know, basically the person running those operations. You can just do it yourself, right? Or you know, you have an insider in the in the telco uh, provider, right? And you just ask your, you know, buddy at uh, at the, the telco, can you please uh, do this for me, right? So there are still different ways uh, they can um, uh, they can uh, perpetrate this. And again, the the problem here is mostly because of uh, uh, SMS used as a as a medium for MFA because. MFA can be anything, you know, just stands for multi-factor authentication. So it's just an additional, right, right factor uh, to the actual credentials. So SMS was one of the first ones and it's still uh, pretty, pretty common nowadays. But I think that the, the best suggestion today will be to use an app, right? There are different providers. They just get you the, the one-time code uh, through an app instead of a, uh, um, instead of the SMS, um, or you can have also the, the the actual hardware token, right? Where the provider release you a physical, right, uh, new device that on, the only purpose of of this device is just to get you those uh, those codes. So those two different factors could be uh, a little, you know, more um, safe than the SMS, and probably, you know, uh, just I was. I, I'm not sure. I want really to suggest companies to stop um, permitting their users to use SMS, right? Because it can be a big deal, right? Can be a big deal for users if do they don't have or 
you know, I don't say, I don't know if my grandpa has to use an app in, in his phone instead of receiving an SMS, it's going to be uh, difficult for him, right? Um, but still, at some point, we really need to drop that because it's just not the, the safest way to do it, right? Especially as a, as a security measure. Uh, but yeah, exactly. That, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There, there's hardware tokens like YubiKeys as well. So um, with the, when using YubiKeys, you have a physical token that you purchased and then you can use that for multiple purposes. It doesn't just have to be for um, one purpose. You can use it for one purpose, but you can also use it for multiple purposes. Um, you can use a password manager. So there's the app, but then there's password managers that you mentioned that adds that extra layer of protection that um, you encompass your passwords on, which exists both in the online form as well as device only forms. Um, so you can use those as well. And then below, they mention that some of the additional things that you're putting on the telephone providers, at least here in the US, to improve their measures to decrease the, the volume of um, SIM swapping attempts, especially for highly privileged actions and FBI government type um, yeah. accounts. Yeah, you know, whenever you really handle you know, top secret data or just very sensitive um, information in general. It's all, it all relates to, you know, your chat model, basically, right? Depends on the risk you are actually facing. Um, the more sensitive are the data you handle, the more, um, uh, I would say, um, riskier are the activities you are running as an organization, right? Uh, the more you have to, to put the, um, the the level very high and try to use the best measures out there when you have uh, different alternatives, right? Maybe for a smaller organization, uh, which is not really running very critical uh, operations, could be understandable uh, that maybe just chooses the, the cheapest or the easiest uh, measure that is available. Uh, but when you really, um, yeah, as you mentioned, when you have government um, uh, environments or uh, you're just handling um, uh, user data, uh, very, you know, very sensitive user data, uh, maybe you should choose for uh, higher, higher measures. Like, I don't know, I still think that the app is still a good choice. If you really cannot afford to give all of your user your YubiKeys or other hardware tokens because there's a cost behind it. I, I recently had a discussion about it at a, at a, with some people uh, at a conference, which is, of course, we know already the hardware token is the best choice nowadays, right? But what if a company has, you know, thousands of employees, right? Or what if you are actually granting access to your customers and not only, not only to your employees? You cannot just really randomly send everyone uh, potentially, you know, to million of uh, or even more uh, of users uh, hardware tokens to get access to your application. You know, uh, it, there's a cost and it's actually, um, uh, you know, still getting a new level of, um, um, how do you say, it? difficulty, let's say, 
on the user interaction with the application. It's not the most usable thing out there, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I started out my career in help desk, and all I can think about is um, how would I roll out hardware <laughs> tokens to millions of people? Um, there's the customer service involved. There's the, like you said, helping helping your grandpa in how to sign up his account. And then when you use a hardware token, it's usually limited to, to a physical computer. So usually not a mobile phone. There's some of them that do work with mobile phones, but those are even more expensive. So um, yeah, going through that in my head is like, oh, that, that that's really hard to do. What about if the, the user actually loses it's our is uh you know hardware token and it gets to be replaced so you just don't have to buy one per each user you have to have a backup right yep and uh, how do you treat uh, how do you treat the um the, the lost uh, hardware key you need to you know disable that otherwise someone else can find it and reuse it so it's very very you know tricky it's very very difficult i think that Probably very few organizations out there can use it on a on a you know a, on a massive context. Maybe for very um, very small context with uh, you know access to a very specific application, a very specific database of information, and with few people involved. But when it gets to you know uh, thousands, millions, or even more, uh, I think it's still a little prohibitive nowadays. Uh, it, it it needs to be a little easier. Um, so maybe we will have, um, you know, other alternatives uh, that will be cheaper and, and easier in the future. Uh, who knows? Well, well, like you mentioned earlier, there's there if you have multiple layers of control, you can move to something like a, a passwordless approach to where you don't really need a hardware token, but you would still use the hardware token for your sysadmins, your highly privileged um, accounts within your organization. But once you start going to the customer level, it does become a little bit harder to require customers to use hardware tokens. Absolutely. It's actually very interesting, the, the, the approach where you differentiate between your you know, all of your users and try to understand what are the, the most... Uh, concerning or the, the, just the most critical ones, as you mentioned, the, the admins, for example, right? Uh, hopefully, you, you don't have the same amount of admins and, and normal users out there. So there will be a few people to uh, to provide with uh, with another token. Uh, unfortunately, I don't, uh, still, I don't see that, um, you know, uh, very often, right? Even if that's probably something that is feasible, right? Just collect, which is something you should do uh, anyway, just, you know, collect the, the list of your admins, uh, collect the list of the, your privileged users and make sure that there's a proper uh, way to authenticate, authenticate them, right? Um, that, that, that's feasible and also, you know, um, uh, should be a, a thing to aim for, I would say, at least for uh, some organizations out there, you know, at, at least for the, the bigger ones. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, great. Okay, so I think we can go through the, the very last story we have today. 
um, again, uh, I really hope that if you are liking it, uh, liking this, uh, you really um, uh, take take your time to hit that subscribe button or follow button if you are on Twitch or whatever you you prefer to to spread the word. Um, uh, anyway, we're going to the very end, unfortunately, of this episode uh, with this with this news that is actually a little just a little uh, older compared to the other ones, but I still thought. It was uh, very interesting to talk about and uh, a little more um, related to, uh, I would say, privacy and data protection instead of, uh, you know, strict cybersecurity. But, you know, it, you know, uh, it could be um, involving so many people out there. And uh, I really think that explaining a little, a little bit more about this can be really, really useful. So the, the news is about uh, Zoom. So the uh, very well-known uh, company behind the um, meeting application, right? That you can just use to uh, to have uh, remote sessions with your colleagues or um, customers or everything, uh, which was very <laughs> discussed in many news in the last years because of security in general. And uh, yet another, you know, here, here's another um, update on this. Um, the the uh, The fact is that you know, they, they just updated their, um, I would say, privacy policy or not. Yeah, it's actually their terms of service, right? Basically, uh, that that uh, document that the first time you use a software, they show you to make you understand, you know, what are the implications of using that software, right? Uh, because, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's probably, I would say, mandatory in most of the countries out there. Uh, to just uh, clarify what is the purpose and what are the implications of um, uh, a software usage. And there are, of course, also, um, you know, privacy implications, like uh, what are what, what the company is going to do with the data you're putting inside the application itself, right? How that will be uh, processed, uh, with who it will be shared, and so on and so forth. Now, they made a... Um, uh, I will say, I will not say a, a tiny update, but uh, an interesting one, definitely, right? Where they specified, you know, um, that all of you know the data related to your communication using Zoom. So basically, you know, the the you know uh, the audio, the uh, video, and uh, uh, possibly also the transcription of what you are saying, because you know there are features that are um, basically. Um, uh, they, they're called speech to text. So uh, just uh, taking your audio can transcript what you are saying and putting uh, in, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, in clear text. Uh, and, and they're actually providing features because they can put captions uh, under your um, uh, your webcam when, when you are speaking uh, in real time, so people can actually read. So it's it's done on purpose to provide some features. Anyway, all of this information, Zoom declares right now can also, also because it's in addition to what, what they were doing also before, they, it can also be used to train AI models, right? And this was really, um, you know, making the news very, very big out there, right? Just the thing that, um, you know, the same, da the same data that you were already sharing yesterday using Zoom, Right. Now, if you're if we're not using Zoom, 
uh, it could be different. But if you were using Zoom yesterday, you were already sharing some data and the company was already using it for many different reasons, right, that were mentioned there. Uh, but right now, they are specifying, okay, we also have some AI models we are training inside the company and we are using uh, our you know, uh, customer data to train them to be better and you know, uh, potentially to provide, I would say, better services to, uh, to their customer base. But it was not really, um, you know, uh, take, uh, took as a, as, a good, as a good thing by the, the public, I would say, no? Um, no, I, I would say you're having um, everyone's concerned with the way that their data is being used and the change in terms and conditions um, both that they could be used for uh, AI usage, as well as the way it was presented, it wasn't presented very clearly. It was like, oh, yep. terms and conditions have been updated, and click OK, right, button. Yeah, click that one. Don't read the terms and conditions in the grayed out button. Um, and you know most people are going to go click, okay, yeah, whatever, update the terms and conditions without even understanding um, what it was doing, they're going to do it. And why this is a concern is because this covers both the paid and the unpaid customers. So mm -hmm. as a, a company that uses Zoom, this becomes a scary situation if Zoom can just say, oh, well, we're just going to update our terms and service. Think of a company that is now using Zoom to talk about their company secrets, but they need to use Zoom AI for narration, for closed caption, for their, their company employees. They have to use Zoom's AI service for the closed caption. And then now it's gonna be used for something else. <laughs> so that's a, that's a very, from a company standpoint, that's an extremely disturbing um, change in terms and conditions, especially if I were a, a larger company um, that is using Zoom, I that would make me switch already. Um, huh. And it, it said it will, one of the disturbing facts is earlier it mentioned that it would offer ways to back out, but um, it, there's no clear, easy way to back out of um, allowing Zoom to use this, even though they say they can. Um, and I, now that you say it, I'm actually going to go see in my Zoom portal <laughs> uh -huh. if I if I can back out of it. So let, let's test this live. <laughs> That's great. So uh, once again, I think the biggest problem is the uh, is the way uh, they actually communicated this, right? because it was not transparent. Uh, it was actually probably a little misleading, right? And maybe there was even some dark pattern in there. So if you don't know, uh, dark patterns are just uh, ways to, uh, you know, implement some uh, 
software processes to make the user do something instead of another thing, even if there's an option, right? So in this case, even if you uh, should and could read uh, the, the terms of service, you know, you add a very big uh, light and uh, um, highlighted button just to click OK and make it disappear without reading it, right? Instead of just putting the terms of service uh, in, you know, in front of you, it make the user read uh, read it, uh, and just after read it, uh, click on the on the button to close the uh, the window. So I think that was uh, probably the, the biggest problem there. Uh, but now uh, I just want to be um, uh, like, uh, you know, I'm thinking out loud. If a company, like you mentioned before, um, is concerned about sharing data with third parties, right? and using um, messaging uh, apps or uh, meeting apps like Zoom uh, to, um, to talk about you know, internal information or sensitive information, I think that was an issue even before this update, right? Because you're still using a third party, you still uh, have a limited, uh, let's say, knowledge about how the data is actually processed, right? You can ask directly to Zoom, okay, you know, I have these requirements, so you have to make it clear what are you going to say. But there will always be uh, some uh, updates on how they process data. And uh, if again, if we are already talking about the government and top secret data, you probably should not use this at you know from 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 the very beginning, or at least this is this is my opinion, right? Now I'm really wondering how the AI changes uh, the um, uh, the game here, right? So would you be more concerned? Like, I would be more concerned. I, I would be more concerned because okay. um, be, before, if you ha when you had the, the potential to see the information, it was a human seeing it. Um, but that they still allowed um, back in 2020, they allowed end-to-end um, -end encryption, which in theory took Zoom out of the picture. But yeah. now if you're allowing, um, if you didn't have that, it would be a human that would be allowed to go into the chain. And you, you there wasn't that machine um, logic that's going in there and seeing how users are interacting, how users are, are sharing information. Now you have the, the, the potential for an AI model to, to react to, oh, if you ask the users to click an emoji, how many of them click? And if you can now see and see that at scale, you can now, like you mentioned, dark patterns, um, mm -hmm. find ways to get users to click on things the way you want it. Um, yeah, that, that does become concerning. Yeah, so, so you mean it's basically because this, this gets bigger, right? It can, yes. can process more data, it can, do, uh, it can extrapolate more from the same data than just a human being, right? That, I think that's, that's, that's your point. And it's, yes, it's, it's that, very... Yes. Yeah, it's very understandable. 
um, definitely uh, definitely agree with that you know uh, uh, point of view. Uh, the thing here is that um, you know that there's just uh, more power behind how they they can use the, the same data they, they already had access before, right? Uh, so yeah, perfectly understandable. Uh, I wonder if this same concern is clear in everyone's mind, or it's also right. Maybe uh, you know the, the experts and people in the industry. Uh, I would say uh, they can you know reach the same conclusion. But what about all of the others that could be just um, let's say just a little scared about all of this AI stuff? so far because it's still not a clear you know um uh, you know thing that uh, no one is really or at least few people are still really understanding it right and it's scary by itself because it's the ai right um do, do you think that could be that could be something that actually happens from the general public I think yes, there there is fear of what AI can do and what AI modeling can do. Um, the other thing is because people have seen some of the implications of AI use, um, let's jump back to Cambridge Analytica and the ability to fine tune how you can use individuals' data to manipulate information, yes, it does become a concern. Um, you have companies that are using AI in many different ways from, you don't know if this whole stream is AI, um, because the, the, there's ways to have fake avatars there's ways to turn text into speech um and manipulate the information in different ways so yes there is a fear out there and zoom is a audio visual service and if you have enough of someone's audio and their video it becomes easier to recreate them so, okay. for example, you've seen the deep fakes of um, Tom Cruise doing mm -hmm. all sorts of weird things, um, or President Obama, or um, President Trump, or President Biden saying things that could cause uh, something. Now, if you take it down to the level of... Um, being able to represent large companies um you could do insider trading you can manipulate the stock market there, there's a lot of consideration that goes into the disinformation that comes when all your information is fed into ai no, absolutely this is very interesting like, like uh, now i'm uh you know uh thinking out loud about uh potential feature that tomorrow Zoom or other companies could provide where, you know, you're actually using it to, to do your meetings, right, at work. And at some point, uh, Zoom can actually suggest you, okay, do you want to just fake this meeting and want your avatar to do the meeting instead of you? Because we have enough of your data to actually replicate your face, your voice, and, uh, you know, just do some, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm thinking 
some standard patterns just be um uh, quiet for most of the the meeting and just you know uh give some feedback here and there and uh, you, you can replace yourself in these meetings that that's very scary uh, especially you know at least from a um, security guy right because you, you also think if a company does that what happens if someone breaches that company and uh, can some way you know steal the the avatar capability so that, that's that's really crazy well, they, they they already do so um right now in zoom they have uh, avatars they're, they're not as real looking but mm -hmm. they're real enough that they ha they'll use the camera reaction to move the avatar um and once you once you combine that with a threat actor that really wants to do this um the 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 outcomes are pretty concerning now back to zoom using it or another ai model using your information um that's where the concern becomes is this company has been especially through um the pandemic one of the major companies that a lot of people use. So if you trick people or use dark patterns to have people use this feature and um, you're not aware of it, that, that that's where the concern is, right? It's less about that it's possible. It's more about how they did it, the, yeah. the, the the, the the trick to oh yeah we just updated our terms and service but didn't really say what the terms and services they changed was yeah there was also you know uh, uh, e even more uh, i would say confusion added you know if you scroll down to the to the news that the fact that they re-updated again the terms of service and included another statement that just says the opposite of what it's specified just a little above and no we're not going to use your data for for ai training but it's 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 exactly what is written uh, just just, just <laughs> few few lines uh, above that again it's it's all about communicating it's all about being transparent and uh, i i still think uh it it's probably you know the impact to the public, it's bigger because of this. Because uh, I'm also thinking about one last thing here. What about we actually have uh, a list of other companies behind services we use, uh, you know, daily that are already using AI and they just not specify it anywhere. Mm -hmm. Like, what's what's worse? It's worse Zoom that tried some way to communicate it, but it was very very bad at it or uh, just all of the other services that maybe we are trusting more right now, okay, after reading this news, that are already doing it, but just not saying it. And, uh, and you know, they still have access to the data. They still uh, are processing it in a very concerning way, let's say. Um, so uh, really communication, I think, changes everything, right? Um, even if th something is really happening, just the fact that you're not really aware of it changes the way you consider the, the services in those companies. And maybe, 
changes choice on which service to use at some point, especially if they are you know competitors. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I say it, it's better to clearly communicate it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I do. I'm a fan of trying to see how I can use technology best to help my my listeners of breaking into cybersecurity. Um, so I'm always out there trying to see how we can use um, AI safely. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you're open about it, that's that's the key. Um, Zoom has had a pattern of um, miscommunications of changing their 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 approach. So this this fumble again um, just brings concern to them. Um, yeah especially in this case where they have such access to your data already. Yeah, it's not like the the individual event that we are talking about right now, but it's like a, an history, right, of things that happened before that already uh, put some concerns on, you know, uh, security safety or just privacy-oriented people. Uh, yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. Uh, Chris, I don't know you, we already spent uh, around uh, one hour and a half on this. Uh, it flied to me because it was really, really uh, interesting and insightful. Uh, definitely got to talk about so many things in, um, you know, very, in a very small amount of time. So I really thank you, you so much to have joined me. Um, and I thanks everyone, you know, that uh, have watched us today, but also that we watch uh, this same episode on YouTube and or Spotify. Um, uh, yeah, I, I really hope there, you know, we will have another chance uh, to, to redo this again in the future. Uh, in the meanwhile, yeah, thank you very much. Hopefully you enjoyed it as, as much as I did. Yep, yeah, it was a great conversation. Thank you so much. I do have to jump over to another one. But sure. thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, join me on Breaking Into Cybersecurity. Um, join your local InfraGuard community if you're in the U.S. And uh, support the whole CyberHuman initiative where we help veterans uh, come from their military career and join their civilian career with open source resources. Thank you all very much. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you again and have a nice day, week or whatsoever. Bye, everyone.